Welcome to the latest United We Stand podcast. I'm Andy Mitten, and we're joined by two guests today. The second is uh, a man who knows AC Milan very well, and the first is Paul McGuinness. Paul was a footballer. He was at United, son, of course, of former United player and manager Wilf, and worked at the club for a long, long time as a coach, uh, a vital ingredient in, in the youth system, I forget the number of players who I speak to and Paul's name crops up all the time. And it can you know, just just lads who've, who've come through Manchester United youth system. So thanks for joining us, Paul. Um, you're joining us just after Manchester United have drawn nil-nil against Chelsea. We'll talk a little about that further on. But what are you up to now? I'm working at the FA at the moment, um, last few last two or three years. Um, a job as a senior coach developer, it's called. So you're helping to develop coaches at different levels. Mine's mainly sort of a license and the sort of pro license course, but also I do sort of uh, the advanced youth course, sort of long-term youth development uh, coaches. And yeah, just trying to pass on some experience and and, and um, help coaches develop. I know somebody who was doing his badges and you did a seminar, I think it was at St. George's Park, and he was very impressed. What are you telling a former Premier League player who's played 400 matches before he wants to move into into management? Um, I, I would say, really, for that for that level of player, they you know they already know so much about the game. Um, so then it's a case of how do they organise their thoughts and organise their experience in order to teach it. So they've got to have an understanding of how people learn, and also how you know they've. I think they've. What big advice I would give is always the advice I got off Jim Ryan, who was at Man United for many years. And it was, don't copy everybody else. You know, assess what you've done. You've had good coaches over over your time. Um, but don't just follow the crowd, but coach what you like. If you coach what you like, what you believe in, what you, what you feel at the heart is football, um, then you're going to be able to pass that on with more, um, more honesty and, and, and it'll be more valid to the players. Because um, you see a lot of people just they follow the trend, and um, well, there's a danger in that because the latest trend is yesterday's trend. If you're not careful, you know. You mentioned Jim Ryan. His son Neil uh, is now coaching United 18s. He was someone who mentioned you, as did Neil Wood, who's now the coach of United's 23s. Basically, both said of you, you open the door for him, you let him get in into to Manchester United. What what are the current trends? what are coaches talking about or is it very individual when Tuchel comes into Chelsea he has his style he's obviously big on data and and, other others who are bigger on sports science I hear Jose Mourinho is (coughs) yesterday's man and clearly he he can't be what what are the latest um, uh, trends well I think definitely over the last seven eight years there's been a big explosion particularly in youth football as well of tactical coaching. You know, everybody sees it on TV. They hear about Tuchel's doing, they hear about Bielsa, they hear about Guardiola and so on. While it's really important, um, and, and a lot of the English coaches have, have come up and improved because you have to compete. So you have to you have to have that. I think we maybe saw that a little bit tonight, um, today, this afternoon with Chelsea Man United. There was a little bit of cancelling each other out in terms of all the tactics that was going on. Um, so that is, there's no doubt about that now. Um, managers and, and coaches are very much there, uh, you know, into the tactics. And my de- the, there's a little danger in that is if you overdo that too young, 12, 13, 14, 
um, then you might be actually restricting some of the technical development of the players because it it, it restricts them with, with with so much tactics. That's that that can be a danger. And um, I heard uh, actually a really good webinar with Klopp um, the other day, uh, Jurgen Klopp, and he I like three things he said. He said, "Don't overwhelm the players," which is, is right. You can't give them too much. You need to give them too many things to do and too much information. You can overwhelm their natural sort of game. And then he said, make sure you have clarity. And you think of all the different nationalities at the top level, particularly, but youth kids, you know, youth kids, you've got to be really clear. And then the third thing I thought was really good as well, he said, and if it goes wrong, have a look at yourself first and think, was I overwhelmed with them or did I, did I not have enough clarity? And I think that that's, that, that is important. I think a, li- a little bit of that sort of went on and, and maybe all the tactics today overwhelmed the, the, the talent. You know, it's it maybe stopped it coming out. But again, that's part of the job of both managers to neutralise the attacking play of the other teams. You touched on the Chelsea game and the tactics cancelling each other out. Just explain that. In which areas of the pitch did you <coughs> see that happening? Was it a, a strong defence snuffing out the attackers? Was it a game which was played mostly in midfield? How did you see it? Well, I think, yeah, they, they obviously assess each other before the game and how they're likely to play, the, the, the latest trends, what, what the strengths and weaknesses of both teams are. So in, in lots of games, football's an invasion game. You're trying to invade each other's territory and then score a goal. So one of the ways of doing that is having extra numbers in areas of the pitch to, to gain a dominance and, and, and be able to play the ball through and maybe create an overload and get, and get you know chances on goal. So they were looking at that, I think. There's also the amount of time you have on the ball you know, that, they, there was very little time on the ball for anybody today. And then they look particularly maybe at certain player capabilities. And as a top player, they, they really try and snuff them out. A danger man like Fernandez, who really you didn't see a lot of tonight because of maybe the way Chelsea played as well. But also, you know, Chelsea's main players didn't get a lot of the ball in terms of Ziyech and, and Mount and the dangerous players, Hudson Odoi, who went off at half time because maybe of the tactics employed by by both managers. Um, so, yeah, if, if, if we're looking at, say, United, um, they had, I think they had three up front, um, really, with Greenwood down the middle, James particularly going for the right or left, he could have been, and, and Rashford. So they were going against a front, th- a back three, Aspilicueta, Christiansen and Rüdiger. Um, because they did that, in midfield, they have Kane and Kovacic sitting, but they also had their sort of forwards, Mount and Ziyech, playing inside forwards, which in effect meant you had a little bit like the old system of um, uh, three at the back, two in midfield, or two in midfield, but it's like a box. So eventually you could say they had an extra man in midfield, Kane, Kovacic, Ziyech and Mount against Fred, McTominay and Fernandez. Um, but that leaves then at the back for United, two against one. So you had, um, you know, you've got Maguire and Lindelof against Giroud. Now, then you're looking at the player capabilities that the manager will look about. And then that means United could say, well, he's not particularly quick. Two, two against one there means we can really press on further up. And I think that was United's tactic, particularly in the first half, until they ran out of a bit of, a bit of energy. Um, and that leaves, say, the two wide players on either side. In the first half, it was Hudson Odoi as a wing back and um, Chilwell. But each of them was virtually in a 1v1 battle. Chilwell against Wan-Bissaka 
at Shaw against James. So all of that's going on before the game and how do they, how, what do they do? And, and really United, I think, Andy, they didn't want the goal to go through the middle where Kane, Kovacic, Ziyech and Mount would, would maybe cause an overload and be able to get on top. So I think when they, when they terms to the sort of pressing, high pressing, what they tended to do was have James topped in and um, Rashford so that they would press their opposition three, three players. And James was trying to stop it going through the middle and, and they, they were happy to force it to, to chill well or to Reese James, and then they'd just be closed down really fast. That was the real trigger for the for the pressing. Uh, James, I think, he put an unbelievable amount, amount of work into it, yeah. Why do United keep drawing nil-nil in these big matches? And I looked at a stat, uh, well, I looked at United's results against the, the so-called big six this season, and, and I, I've often written about the positives and the team being second and the goals being scored, but... Why do you think this team is struggling to overcome the bigger teams? There hasn't been a win against uh, one of the biggest, one of the top six teams in in the league this season. Yeah, I think I think both teams in this game a little bit. You know, at the end you're listening to Roy Keane on the TV and they're saying, "Well, they should have a go." When they, it's not like you know, um, not like when we were doing it. We we would gamble more. Um, but in a sense, here I think both teams really set out to neutralise each other. And then they get into that rhythm in the game where everything's a press. Um, they're sort of 1v1 duels that are always very intense. They, they're, they're aggressive. They're stopping each other. And everything, you know, that's dominating their thoughts maybe. And then when it comes to the bit where, oh, now we've got to change and relax a little bit more on the ball and we've got to, we've got to be able to have that high quality, they weren't able to go from the aggression, quality, fighting getting your toe in, all those things to then have a bit of calmness on the ball and, and make the, the say, the counter-attacks um, count. I mean, United did have quite a few good counter-attack opportunities, but it was just maybe the last pass or the shot was, you know, wasn't of the highest quality. And I think even, you know, Ollie said that as well. And um, so did the pundits afterwards, yeah. You know a lot of these people, and United were, were missing players, including Paul Pogba. Paul was someone you were his first point of contact when he when he joined Manchester United. Clearly, the club are going to sign again in the summer. Although I wouldn't expect the transfer activity, certainly not the money, to be the same as in recent seasons for any club because of COVID. Which parts of the team do you think need need strengthening, or that the manager would look to strengthen? Um. I think um, I think always when you when you look at your team, you look at you look at your defence and so on. You're always after you know two. You have to have a couple of things. Obviously, if you if you if you're thinking about your real defence, you need uh, people with pace. So you need speed, particularly at centre back. So I think that that will always be something on their minds uh, of any manager to have. I mean, they have got um, you know one or two young players you know coming up. Who, who may have that in the future. Um, but, you know, as, as it is now, I think you need that pace, but you also need that um, quality on the ball. I think that's why City are top of the league. They've got quality on the ball in every area of the pitch. Um, so that's, you know, in a game like this today, probably you'd be saying, well, um, can, can one team really take control of the ball? So, like I've said, they might be doing a lot of work on the defensive side, 
Um, but then can they gain control and really keep the ball and probe for the right for, uh, with the ball for the right amount of time? Because it's very hard to be sort of full out all the game. I was watching the game and I was watching Dan James, who did a he did a fantastic job for the team. He was the first guy closing down. He closed down the second guy. He'd recover. The ball was on the opposite side. He was in. He was doing a lot of really good work. Then he's maybe counter-attacking. You know, so they're doing a lot of a, a lot of um, work, high energy. Um, but it's a bit like a boxer. You know, if you're out in the first five, three, four rounds throwing a lot of punches, you're going to tire in the last few. You know, you can't pick your arms up to actually hit them with a, the killer punch. You know, so if they're all working so hard, in the old days you wouldn't have got, you wouldn't have had Ronaldo playing up front working that hard. Sure, he'd show them one way or do something, but then he's fresh to score the goals. So you have to, you have to have a, a means of both pressing really well, but then also resting while you've got the ball and you take control of the rhythm of the game, and then be able to, you know, play at your pace, change the pace. So you need a bit of everything. And in the old days, that's, that's what United teams had. They had a little bit of everything. They could beat you like today. They could really defend, beat you on the counter-attack, or they could take control of the ball, um, kill a game off, and then draw the other team on. If they, they left gaps at the back, they'd beat them on the counter again. So the, the, this team's evolving, I suppose. And, um, you know, you know in, in lots of ways, it, it, that's a good point. But of course, people are referring to the Man United of old, and so they they, they think it's not so good a point. People will always make comparisons, but the, the, the team's simply not as good good as it was. I think that the league table doesn't lie with that. Are you? Um, do you think that Oli is making progress? Do you, can you see signs uh, of what he's trying to do? And two and a half years um, into the job, well, a little bit under that, that. Is making progress. I think I think is when you look at the spirit of the team today and the and um, the, the you know the way they've worked you know hard work the the really well coordinated press and all that side of the games there and then you know they just need the next step and the next step it's an evolution of a team. I mean, I remember it, it was five or six years before Sir Alex really got his team going. You know, I know you can say, oh, well, the times have changed and. And, um, you know, people don't get as long, all this sort of thing. But actually, to get a team really working that well in all aspects, how long does it take? did it take Klopp? You know, now they've had a bit, a little bit of a blip. You know, Guardiola came into a really sort of winning, you know, big squad and took him a year or so. And um, so it, ta- it does take time, you know, to really build all the things you want to get. And, and you, uh, you see some really good aspects to United's play. You know, when they're really flying, they're one of the most flowing teams when they get flying and combining. You know, um, they've got really dangerous players. I thought that was one of the things lacking from Chelsea today with the team they had out. They didn't look like they had any players who were going to beat someone and, and get a goal on their own. You know, and, and you need that. You need those type of players. And United have got two or three of them. Some players will move on, some will stay. Can I ask you about um, Jesse, you work very closely with Jesse. He had a he's had a rough time, and he's gone to West Ham, and he seems to be be thriving. Uh, what, what's his level? Did he did he need a change? Is it all about confidence when you someone like Jesse Lingard, and also Marcus and, and Paul Pogba? Yeah, well, sort of knowing them growing up and everything, you know that um, 
he's a really bobbly character, um, um, Jesse. And, you know, if, if you've had different problems, different personal problems and, and, and things behind the scenes that people don't always know about, then, you know, they're judging, they're judging you without knowing all the full facts. Um, but he looks now to have got his own confidence and bobbly self back. And, you know, no matter what team you've got, if you need a balance of players. So, yeah, Fernandez may be a passer, creator and so on, but you need people running. You need people running off the ball, running from deep. All, all the top teams have had that balance over the years. Look at City now. It looks like um, Gundogan is now just, you know, he's making those runs into the box at the right time. All the top teams over the years have had it, whether it be Roy Keane at United, Brian Robson making runs into the box. Um, you know, I'm not comparing Jesse to them, but you need a player of that ilk. You know, if you think back to Arsenal's teams and they have Youngberg running off the line, um, you need someone who breaks the lines. John Walk at Liverpool, Terry McDermott in the old days. You need people who run off the ball. That's part of a whole makeup of a squad and teams. Um, so uh, I, I'm not sure how many more there are about, you know, whether at any club. So if he's one of your own players, he's, I think it's handy to have someone to give you that sort of balance to be in your squad, yeah. And then Paul, you were there when he first came to the club, when he, 16 years old, came from Le Havre? Yeah, I mean, he's, he's just got a fantastic talent. He's, he's an unbelievably talented player. Um, sometimes you know you, you could be in the middle of a match and and then you think, well, he's the only one who's really got the quality. You know, he's he's, he's passing, he's moving, he's the way he beats people and so on. Um, but also, like the rest of the team, he's he's um, he's found it hard at times, and and that's sometimes with, with the whole mix of it. He you know he's not been able to to always find his best form. But you know, if Paul Pogba's fit and and um, and playing well, there's not many better players in, in the league, you know, with the size of him, his athleticism. I think sometimes people, they expect him to play like Patrick Vieira because he's that size, when really he's got skills more like Iniesta, and he's that type of player. So it's, it's a different type of player than people expect sometimes. Um, and of course, depending on what, what their team likes, teammates are like around them, how they're playing, it'll, it'll make a difference to that type of player. And Marcus Rashford, I know you've worked with hundreds of players in your 23 years at United from 93 to, to 2016. Um, what were your first impressions when Marcus was coming through? Well, you are, I saw you because you're watching all the age groups, you know, he's eight, nine, and 10. You, you know, you're watching, you think, wow, here's a player with real skills, but also the fluid movement, you know, so athletic. And so you think, well, if he keeps growing, he's, he's got a chance. But then the big thing is just that love of the game. And because then they're always playing with the ball, they're always doing something, they've always uh, got those skills. So if you've got those attributes, you've got the athleticism, um, you've got the movement, you've got the skills, then, you know, it's, it's there's a lot of other things come into it. But obviously he's, he's shown a, a mentality that I think will... I think he'll just keep developing. I hope he just keeps going and keeps going because what he's done already is amazing, really, both on and off the field. Um, there's there's more to him. I think there's you know if he if he progresses again, there's even more goals potentially in him. Um, and you look at I don't know all the other players of this, of similar age who've been top players. At United he's, he's in a special group, isn't he? Of players who've who've reached a number of games and goals by this stage. Um, 
So, uh, you know, you hopefully there's just more and more to come from him. You're looking at football not just from a United perspective, but nationally now, and you've spoken about not overloading youngsters with with, with tactical advice. What are the main threats to football coaching that you see? Or are you quite optimistic? Do you think that English football is in a good place at the moment? I visited St James's <clears throat> Park for the first time recently for the Youth Cup semi-final. It's clearly an incredible facility. Well, when you look around, there's some really nice players about, you know, young players, young English players who, um, you know, Marcus is still only young. Um, and, and then you look at Mason Mount's a really nice player, Grealish, there's some skillful players, James, uh, Rich James, he looks solid. You've got um, young players, um, like Alexander Arnold, you know, there's a lot of good young players around, around the squad. But the other side, the other way to look at it is, you can keep saying that England haven't won the World Cup for so long so I always want more I always want to say well how do we get more of them how do we get even better how do we push to do more and in in doing so sometimes um, I, I think you can rush too soon to push them um, and they can miss their childhood so the academies are a great environment I, I think of some of the experiences some of the players we had uh, at United and some of the trips the tours and we had I think we also had people like, say, Tony Whelan, Eamon Mulvey, uh, people like that, who really made it a child-friendly atmosphere because there's a lot of pressure on young kids, you know. There's a lot of talk about young kids going to academies and, and when they leave, you know, that's their whole life, you know. So it's a massive commitment and then it takes quite a lot of skill to, to make sure that um, we get the right balance and that we don't push them too soon, Um um, into a sort of like overly professional atmosphere, yeah. And then when they are released from the big clubs, are enough measures in place to protect these these young boys and often still children who, who, whose dreams have been shattered? I mean, you've been there yourself. You you were a yeah. talented young player, weren't you? Well, thanks, Andy. That's kind of, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I, I've been through all that process and I know from my own experience how how difficult it is, you know, um, to sort of recover and get to the next step. All your identity is, is put into, you know, into that being that young player. And as I say, there's there's loads of massive benefits from it. Um, but there's also the other side. So, yeah, I think people are looking more at that now, quite rightly. I think it needs to be looked at more at the, the right amount of support uh, for young players who, who, who uh, are in football in general. It's a really difficult life, you know. Um, it's a great one, but it's also a lot more stressful than people than they imagine. But yeah, I think that's a, a, there are sort of moves afoot, I think, to look into it, to say how do we help people um, from academies even more, yeah, who, who may not quite make the grade, yeah. You were a young lad in, in the 80s at United, I'm sure you met lots of characters and I know you still probably know them. And one I didn't know was a, a lad who got in touch with me last week, um, Nick, who you played with in the youth system at Manchester United, and he's done a book about coming through Nick Welsh, and yeah. he's, a, he's a Salford lad, and we're running an extract in the next United We Stand, and it's basically, uh, he, he knew he wasn't going to make it at like nineteen twenty at United, but he was obviously still decent, and some of the old uh, United Legends teams wanted him to play and I think you you were playing in these games as well so suddenly he finds himself in 
central midfield alongside Bobby Charlton. And then, because he's young and he can run around, they ask him to come back a week later and play a game against Leeds United at York City. So he's 21 years old, driving in his battered old car over the Pennines, and he pulls up outside Bootham Crescent and he says to the policeman, I'm playing for Man United. And the policeman says, but pull the other one. Who, who do you think I am? He said, oh, seriously, yeah, 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 yeah. I'm playing yeah. with Bobby Charlton today, honestly. They said, well, prove it. And he, he couldn't because, you know, yeah. it, it, there was no mobile phones then. There was no passes or anything like that. Yeah. He sounds like yeah. a character, was he? You, 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 oh, yeah, he's absolutely uh, great. Like, you know, um, people should get the book and read it, United fans. He, he sort of, he, he was unfortunate. He was talented player but for a lot of the time when I was there he was injured had a groin injury had something else and so on and then what that led to was he was in the treatment room with the first team players so a lot of them we, we sort of knew them you'd play with them but he was spending more time with them and then he, I think he spent a bit more time with them than he should have done because he was, <laughs> he was socialising with Big Norman and Paul McGrath and all these so it, it, so he's some stories to tell from all that um, but he fitted in great with them all because he's a smashing lad he's got a great sense of humour he loves United and, and, and as I, he's been there and experienced it. You know, he's a bit like I have, you not and in those days you played with the reserves, you played with them, you played with the top players. So I think that was a benefit we got. It's definitely helped me and my coaching. You know, when you've played with Norman Whiteside, Mark Hughes, Clayton Blackmore, you played with Arnold Muran, uh, Peter Barnes, uh, Gordon McQueen, you know, uh, Paul McGrath, and you've played with those players, then you've been next to the very best, you know. So it, it's it's what I call them. Um, you're a privileged spectator in a sense. You're playing with them, but you're, you're really watching the top close up. So, um, and, and well, he definitely got more of a privileged spectator eye view of the social life than I did, definitely. So, <laughs> so, he, so he'll, he'll, he'll definitely have a few stories on that front, definitely. There's a bit in it. He's playing in this game and Bobby Charlton's asking him for the ball and he thinks, what do I do? What do I do? He thinks, you know what? I'm going to go for goal myself because if I do that, then... Bobby's going to be even more impressed by me. And he goes for goal and he just skews it wide and he just looks and he's got Bobby Charlton shaking his head at him. And I just loved it because so few people will have been in, in that position. And some yeah. of the names you mentioned, um, one of my books I did about the 80s, I spent a day with the likes of Gordon McQueen yeah. and, and, and Billy, <laughs> Billy Garton, who was Billy a Salford yeah, lad. Great lad. Yeah. And, these these were the most popular chapters in the book. They were, you know, mm. obviously Robbo was in there, and Arnold Muir. And I went to Holland to see Arnold, yeah. and yeah. Arnold couldn't believe how much alcohol English footballers drank. <laughs> he went to, yeah. he went to um, Ipswich Town, and he'd never touched alcohol in his life. And he said, after six months, I had a snooker cue, a set of darts, and, and, <laughs> and pretended that I liked bitter. Yeah. And Gordon McQueen, I went to see him at his house in Yarm. Gordon's the funniest guy ever oh, in football, he's, honestly. He's funny. I love that man to bits. And I told his daughter, Hayley, um, last mm. week. And Gordon said, before we start the interview, let's let's just settle down a bit. And he put four pints inside me. And I'm, I'm not a big mm. drinker. And then, and then the interview started and he carried on drinking. And his wife, Yvonne, came to pick us up. It was a pub called The Black Bull in Yarm. Yeah. And I had to get back to Manchester and Yvonne said, you've been drinking, love. And, and yeah. Gordon, who, who'd given me the most incredible interview, he yeah. said, it's close season. She said, yeah, but you retired 18 years ago. Love, yeah, love. Yeah, yeah, you're yeah, not going to get yeah. me on a point here. And then, and then Billy Garton's story was, was just incredible. And Billy yeah. was a Salford lad, good looking boy. 
took the bus to play for Man United to make his first team debut. The person on the bus in front is like reading New Wonder yeah. Kid from Salford. And, you know, <laughs> this isn't the 1930s yeah, yeah. or even when your dad was no, playing. No, no, no. This is 1985. No, yeah. He was a good player, Billy. He was a very skillful player. He, he was. I was blessed to play with you know with all of them. But the, the one Nicky says about the uh, charity games, I used to play when I was about 15, 16. My dad would be saying, well, come on, it's Piccadilly Radio and they're playing, it's, it's a load of DJs or something. And then it would be, well, it's Man United versus Man City, but bring your boots. So I'm playing with Bobby. I'm playing with um, uh, Paddy Crerin. I'm playing in Stepney, Sadler, Styles. All these. And then sometimes it was Man City and Man United against someone else. So I remember playing at Widdenshaw, where they play now at the Widdenshaw Amateurs or something. And it's like, I'm playing with Bell, Lee, Somerby, Doyle, Pardo. I'm playing with them as well as Bobby Charlton. It's like, I've played with George Best playing one game. And, it, and it, Bobby was incredible. Drop his shoulder with both feet, you know, smacking goals in. And, you know, this, this bit of like, oh, gentleman Bobby and all this, you know, absolute you know people have no idea how competitive he was really you know they were so competitive and like saving the games getting close or whatever well he was going to score the goal and it's right if you didn't give him the ball quick oh he'd give you a right mouthful you know so people don't know about all that side of it but then yeah Franny Lee I remember Franny Lee it was within shore amateurs and it was he picked the ball I played the ball to him five-yard pass and he's on the halfway line but near the touchline near the halfway line and instead of running down the wing he ran directly at the goal and he just this guy's trying to jock him he dribbled 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 dribbled, got into the penalty area knocked it past him and then tripped over the lad's leg you know and that's how they got it when it Lee won pen when he scored those 30 goals 15 penalties or something um and but just 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 being able to mix with them. I mean, Roger Hunt, play, I played about five World Cup winners, Roger Hunt, uh, John Canelli, all those. I was just, yeah, magical, magical stuff. And there's another um, bit when uh, Arthur Albiston, who was another one of the guys <coughs> I interviewed, yeah. he's talking about Billy Garton. And Arthur mm-hmm. said, I was on the Metrolink back to Altringham one day, and there were these two posh Cheshire ladies in front getting yeah. excited because... The new PE teacher, the head of PE at the school, used to play for Manchester United, and, yeah. he, and, and he was ever so handsome, and he yeah, played yeah. for them in the 80s. And Arthur, you know, Scottish <laughs> international with 500 games, Arthur leans forward to earwig the conversation. Yeah, and yeah. Arthur's thinking, well, it can't be any of the lads I played with because they weren't <laughs> handsome. So <laughs> Arthur runs through the whole team in his mind, yeah. And he's and then, and then he realizes it's Billy Garton. Yeah, <laughs> and, yeah, exactly. There's just there's a lovely innocence to these stories. This sort of band of brothers and this mixture yeah, yeah. of internationals I mean, and great yeah, characters. Yeah. Big, big, big Gordon. Big Gordon is definitely the funniest guy I remember. And and but he was great with the young players. Listen, they all used to play. If the reserves played a friendly, the first team players went. You know, it was one of those. So we played this friendly, uh, Chorley, Right, it was freezing. It was ice, everything. So he's a first-team player. There's a few. And um, so we go out for the warm-up, but he doesn't come out straight away. And I think, oh, he's, he's not coming out, you know. So he came out for this warm-up. And you know the big sub, subs coat? He, he put it underneath his shirt. So he's like got his shirt <laughs> over the coat. I'm going to play like this, lads, he said. He said, I'm going to play like this. Like, you look like the Michelin man. Oh, it was funny. 
He's, he's a great, he's a great guy. He is, and, and I stayed in touch with him after yeah. that after that interview. And um, Lou Macari was another. What a sense of humour! People see the work he's doing now with charity, but that man, he he has got he's the best sense of humour. But Gordon. Um, McQueen, he told a story in one of my books, and you don't need to comment on this at all. I'll just tell this because it's ri- it's ridiculous. And I said, "Are you sure you want this to go in?" And he was rooming with Kevin Moran in London, and he said, "I came out the shower, and Kevin was on the phone, lying on the bed, talking to his mum in in, in Dublin." And Norm uh, Gordon said, I, "I just needed a fart." And he, had, he came out of the shower and he's got a towel around his waist. And he thought, for a bit of fun, he just walked around to the side of the bed where, where Kevin was lying down and he dropped his towel. And in his, in his words, he said, I inadvertently followed through. And I'm just thinking, I'm probably writing 400,000 400, words a year and I've not read anything that I've had such a response as, as Gordon. And yeah, yeah. when I sent him to the book, I was expecting him to say, like, uh, oh, I can't believe we put it in. But he was absolutely buzzing that I'd put it in there. Brilliant. Yeah, and then yeah, I told yeah, Kevin yeah. Moran, and he was just shaking his head, saying, that man, is, that man is a disgrace to humanity. <laughs> and I can't believe I shared a football picture with him. Oh, yeah. So many things. I oh, did. So many things he used to do. Bloody hell. All right. Well, it's yeah. been it's been no. lovely to, to talk with you, Paul. And good luck with your work at the, the Football Association. And are you, you you're confident United under Oli are on the right path? Yeah, I think so. I think it's he, he's definitely improving them step by step. You can see it, and it's you, there's a lot of good young players there, aren't there? You know, it's not an old team. It's it's an improving team, um, and of course, it's always the you know getting the right signings. You're always adding on, which is you know that was you know so Alex he had a lot of signings at the start, or, or could he get it right? He was building. They weren't they weren't the finished article at the start. You think there was some stopgap people, but some some people who did a good job. You know, your Maldonigas of this world who did a good job, different positions, but they weren't Pallister and Bruce. You know, so it, it's, it's steps at a time, aren't they? Yeah. You know, that that it takes to build that team, and, and that was that, that was essential when he got that pairing together, wasn't it? Eventually, and then he he got he always had a, after that he always had a good centre back pairing. You know, whether it, you know Ferdinand Stam, you know, uh, you know. Different different ones at different times. He kept sort of getting them in and replacing them at the right time. And probably it's it's easier, or well, it's not, I don't know so much easier, but that's what they kept doing. They kept bringing better players in on top of a title winning team. So now it's it's a competition, and of course the, the squad evolves. They slowly get better and better, and and that's what Ollie will be trying to do definitely. Well, thanks for your time and give our love to your your dad as well and hopefully we'll speak to you again soon. Okay, great speaking to you, Andy. Right, time for a drink break. I suspect that quite a lot of people who listen to this podcast don't mind a beer. So what we're offering is a free case of eight craft beers from Beer 52. I know loads of you have signed up. If you go to www.com, beer52 that's beer52.com forward slash united and you just got to cover the postage costs which are £5.95 beer52 is the world's largest beer club with over 175,000 active members each month members are sent a case with a different theme 
it comes with a magazine and a snack. If you don't like dark beer, you can choose a light option. You can pause or cancel at any time. So, well, I got eight cans this month, a couple of them from, well, the tiny Rebel Brewery, one called Electric Boogaloo. It was a cloudy, fruity, like a pale ale, a bit hazy, tasted a bit of, of passion fruit, a bit citrusy. Another one was called Hollow Days. It was a hazelnut stout from Harbour Brewery in Cornwall. And that tasted of chocolate, vanilla. It was quite strong. A dark, dark stout. A stout's anything but dark. Another one was Siren Craft Beer with Midnight Maverick. And that beer was called the Nitro Oatmeal Milk Stout. It was quite creamy, bitter. Not not very strong, I think it was 4.2. And again, it was very dark because stouts tend to be, even milk stouts. So you get a good selection and you can try what you like and see what you enjoy and tweak whatever you'd like to receive or not, not receive. So go to www.beer52.com forward slash united Pay just £5.95 postage, that's all you're paying for the postage, and you're getting a free case of eight craft beers. Delighted to welcome our next guest, he's an AC Milan fan, originally we grew up close to Milan, season ticket, went to all of the, the games there. Uh, Andrea Lande, welcome to United We Stand, thanks for joining us. Hi Andy, thank you for having me. What was your reaction when Manchester United were drawn with your team, AC Milan, on Friday in the Europa League? Well, I learned about the, um, the game, the fact that we were facing uh, Man United, because I woke up and I saw the messages coming in from my friends in Italy, and they were like, fuck, we got United. So that was, that, that was uh, when I first learned about us playing Man United. Uh, obviously, you know, um, all of us fans, we were hoping to have a, uh, you know, a less competitive uh, game. We we're hoping for another team. But I have to say that I'm happy that we're facing Man United. It's going to be two uh, beautiful games. And, uh, you know, we haven't been in the Champions League. We haven't played in the Champions League in a long time. And this, it's kind of like a Champions League game. So I'm looking, uh, looking forward to it. And personally, I have, you know, good memories of, of matches with Man United. So uh, I'm excited, actually. Go on then, please tell me some of them good memories because I've got some bad ones. The worst one was 2007, walking to San Siro. It was raining and then I got in the ground and Gattuso walked in and he walked up to the curver and he was beating his chest basically to say, come on, everybody get behind us. And Milan needed to win. Vidic had just come back from being injured and you just tore into Man United and you were the best team in the world that year. It's a long time ago. Is that the game you're going to pick out? That's exactly the game that I was referring to, Andy. Yes, I'm sorry, but for us, for me, it was a very special moment. I great memories of, of, of that game for a variety of reasons. I was actually living in Barcelona at that time, as you know. That's, that's when you and I met. And um, I went to see the game with my mate Giovanni, who you also know, at uh, this pub around the corner from our apartment in Gracia. And uh, I still remember the name of the pub, Bristol, Brew, Bristol Blue. And um, yeah, we were the only two Milan fans. Uh, everybody around us were supporting Man United. 
but yeah, great game. It was just a perfect game. One, two, and the third goal from Gilardino. We, we started celebrating and, and, and screaming and shouting, and, and everybody actually around us was, was acknowledging <clears throat> uh, the fact that Milan uh, was uh, you know, far superior uh, in that game. And, and yeah, we were the best team in the world at that time we played brilliant football so and you know we ended up winning the champions league that year so yeah that was definitely the best memory of milan versus man united we've got a really good interview in the new united we stand with uh, alexio is a, a former milan ultra and he talks about what the word manchester means to him and his mates in in the ultras about they associated with winning the Champions League there in 2003. He details the decline at Milan and just something you said, Andrea, about it's a long time since we played in the Champions League. I mean, this is incredible. You were the best team in the world for, for so long. A huge club from this magnificent stadium in this powerhouse of a football city. And we've gone into more detail in the magazine about why AC Milan have, have declined. So I was pleasantly surprised when I last checked, you know, a month ago to see Milan at the top of Serie A. How has this season been? And I know form has dipped since, but what has been going right? And, and how's Latin Ibrahimovic been playing for you? Yeah, this year was um, unexpectedly, uh, it started brilliantly. We, we were top of the league for a long time. And the reality is that nobody really uh, was expecting that. Uh, the goal of the team was, you know, communicated by the, uh, management that was to get to uh, you know top four uh, to get a place in the Champions League. So we were not really expecting to be uh, fighting for uh, the Scudetto. And uh, the reality is that Milan was the best team. We, we played brilliant football. Uh, Pioli was able to create a perfect chemistry um, in the team. It's, uh, it's the youngest team in, in, in Serie A. Actually, so, uh, but led by Zlatan. So when you ask me about Zlatan, Zlatan was phenomenal. Was absolutely phenomenal. When he came last year, the second part of the season, something changed. He brought that confidence and and uh, you know that that positive arrogance that you know uh, that that he has. And and basically, the the team changed. Uh, so all these young players, they saw him as a, as a leader, as a champion. And as an example, so they all followed him, and um, and yeah, this year was uh, we, we we were so good. I haven't seen Milan playing that good in a long, long time. Fortunately, after the break, the Christmas break, uh, something must have happened because the last few games we we didn't play well. We lost the first position. Now Inter is leading uh, by four. Uh, well, depending on what, what we're doing today against Roma. So, you know, that was a disappointment. But, I mean, if you look uh, again, uh, the way uh, last year and when we started, we, we, were not ex we were not expecting this kind of uh, uh, situation. So, I mean, obviously now I, you know, I, I hope we can go back to first position, but we definitely need to be back to Champions League. That's where Milan belongs. And in terms of the ownership of the club, is it, is it more, more stable now? Because as I understand that the, the Berlusconi family stopped supporting the club financially in 2012 and, and the decline started from then. That's, that's right, Andy. Um, it seems to be more stable. Uh, Paolo Maldini is the uh, football director. He reports to the CEO, um, Gazzis. 
uh, who was uh, also his previous CEO of Arsenal. So um, there are top professionals uh, leading uh, the team. Uh, Paolo Maldini is the uh, you know, captain, uh, Milan icon, and uh, he, he was able to build a team with the very young players that you know, they are now able to play brilliant football together. So, yeah, obviously the management is important. And when you have, a, uh, I think, an experienced and, and intelligent man like Paolo Maldini uh, managing the football activities, I think this is, a, this, this is something good. And that's why I think this year is a, is a success. Is Paolo Maldini the coolest man in the world? Man, I, I, I can't think of anybody <laughs> than Paolo Maldini. I also had the pleasure to meet him on a couple of occasions, and this guy is such a cool guy. Uh, well-spoken, well-mannered, uh, well-dressed, <laughs> good-looking guy. I mean, it, it is, and, and he was the best, I think, defender, uh, at least left-back uh, of all time. Um, well, definitely you- one of the best. Where did you meet him a couple of times? Um, in, in New York. Uh, in New York. Um, How? Tell me the story. Well, actually, the first time I was, uh, I was sitting next to him at, at a restaurant. And, uh, and, you know, the whole time I was with my wife. And he was there. And I was telling my wife, listen, I have to say something. I mean, like, yeah, I never do. I live in Los Angeles. And, you know, I, I see celebrities every, every, every day. But when I saw Paolo Maldini, first of all, we also shared the same birthday. I had to say something. So I approached him. And then a coincidence, uh, another time we had friends. We, we discovered friends in common at a birthday party. So uh, we reconnected uh, at, that, at that birthday party. And he was a very uh, kind person and... and we were talking, uh, and yeah, just very cool guy. And I'm told your goalkeeper is very good. Your young goalkeeper, you can pronounce it better than me. Donnarumma, yes, he's brilliant. And is he the best player? Zlatan at one end, Donnarumma at the other. Uh, he's definitely a key player uh, in Milan. Is is so young, but so. Uh, so, I mean, so experienced also because he's been playing now for, I guess, five or six seasons. He started when he was 17, 16, 17 years old, uh, is now 21. Um, I personally think he's the best goalkeeper in the world or, or, or in the definitely top three. And, and again, he's so young, but gives confidence to, to the whole defensive uh, lineup. So I know now there are in negotiations um, for the renewal of his contract that is up, uh, I believe, this year or next year. So all the fans, they are like anxious to see the renewal because um, we, we can't afford to lose uh, a goalkeeper um, that actually is coming from the, uh, the academy. Okay. And yes. you mentioned the defence. Uh, one of those is, is on loan from Manchester United, Diogo Dalot. He doesn't seem to be playing so much. How's he doing there? Um, um, yeah, so and so. Um, I I think he's a good player. Uh, technically, he has good technique um, and and a good pace. Um, you know, a different league. Uh, also, young player. Um, 
I, I, th I think I think he's a good player, not not a, not for a starting eleven um, Champions League uh, team, but as uh, coming from the bench and uh, occasionally it can be a good help. So um, I I I've, I think he's a good player. Okay, finally, predict the score. Who do you think is going to go through to the next round of the Europa League? <laughs> Milan. <laughs> yeah, you're confident, despite that first reaction that you told me about, that, oh, fuck, you think you're confident. that your, I think your heart's telling me that Milan's going through, but your head isn't. Yeah, yeah, my, my, head, my head can't really, can't really predict. I think, I think if we go back to the level where we were before the Christmas break, a confident team with Zlatan dominating uh, and, and a great team uh, solid in the back creating uh, chances. I, th I think, uh, I think we'll, you know, we can definitely uh, go to the next level. But again, it all depends at uh, how we get there. And, uh, but yeah, I look, I'm looking forward to it. It's going to be fun. So that's Andrea. He's a he's an interesting lad. He lives in Hollywood, and his wife works in the fashion industry. And I've met him whenever United have played pre-season there. You get invited to these mental parties where Miley Cyrus and Mariah Carey are, at. and of course I couldn't go to him because I was writing about Ander Herrera in Pasadena. But he was uh, he's a good footballer, Andrea, as well. He he played a decent level in in Italy and. Kept coming across um, like Maldini. He's met out, met out with him in in New York, and a lot of the Italian American community. Anyway, enough of that. We're nearly there with the latest United we stand, and we're just finishing it off. Just about to to go to print with it. The deadline to order to be in the first mail out. We'll send you a copy fresh from from the printers is Monday at midnight and if you PayPal us the money I've, I've put links all over my, my Twitter and if you can subscribe that's great for the next 10 issues that's, that's the next 10 months of mags for you including the summer special or if you just want to order a single issue PayPal £3.99 for UK to uwsmag at yahoo.co.uk 5.49 sterling for Republic of Ireland and Europe and 5 99 for the rest of the world. You might find it easier if you're living a long way away and you don't want print to subscribe to the digital edition. That's also the cheapest way of getting United We Stand. I spent most of the day writing up an interview I did for the fanzine with um, Neil Wood. It's really, really interesting. He's the coach of United's under-23s and there's loads of detail in there. And, you know, it's not going to be the front page of any big magazine but for Man United fans it's really interesting and there's a lot of good stuff in there there's um, a piece by a lad who's carried on going to games he's not a journalist in lockdown just try to sneak in or get a picture or peer over the fences so that's interesting there's 44 pages of stuff in there so we appreciate all the support that we've been getting while we can't sell United we stand at matches and if you want to order this issue or a subscription, please get lively. And thanks for joining us again for this podcast with Paul McGuinness and Andrea Landy. Until next time, goodbye.